Getting to, if you will, the core of the core can be difficult, especially as the definition of it in financial services, the how it works, has changed so much in just a generation. Where does the cloud come in? And AI. To bring some clarity to the core picture, the two Ds have Prema Varadhan, president of product at Temenos, here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. This week we are going to demystify what a modern core is and what makes something cloud native and who better than my previous colleague who has escalated phenomenally in the organization and rightly deserved too prema varden very welcome to you would you like to give our guests a little introduction to yourself obviously i know you well <laughs> sure thank you so much dave Dom, for inviting me over it's been an absolute pleasure talking to the industry veterans, if I can call you that, <laughs> and serious influences, I must say. A little bit about myself. I joined Terminus. It was my second job in 1999. That was my proper job, let me put it that way, straight out of college. I'm an engineering degree holder, so straight out of college, wanting to do great stuff with programming, program computers, whatever, and then ended up in Terminus as an engineer, as I said, one of the very few people who were allowed to actually enhance the code product. Till then, you know, we were doing a lot of maintenance and fixes and defects and support and stuff like that. But the core part of it was very much protected those days. So I joined and I started enjoying the whole learning process of understanding banking, understanding what core banking is understanding the complexities and the early stages of, you know, what digital looks like during that time. So I progressed through my career in Temenos, having multiple roles, you know, was program manager, principal system engineer. But then I became the chief architect roughly around 2013, 2014 timeframe. By then, we were starting to do many acquisitions. We were trying to strengthen and broaden our capabilities within Terminos. And I was pretty much focused in integrating the acquisition acquired products and the companies that came with that. So it was quite a challenge understanding different dimensions of the business itself, it's not just about the technology and the architecture. You just bring the people and the different cultures through that. And then you learn as you go, you know, what good looks like and what would work for Temenos in the longer term. So it starts putting a little bit of a strategic thinking in my head. And that process I enjoyed thoroughly. I was quite passionate about it. 
And with that, the change management and how do you handle bigger decisions? How do you go about giving it a bit of energy and momentum and then influencing people to actually you know, go on that journey, travel on that journey and meet those objectives. So that, I think, was my early stages to proper leadership test, if I can put it that. So a number of those things. And then fast forward to roughly about 2019, early stages of 2020, my then boss, Mark Winterburn, chief product officer, he decided to retire and I was chosen to run product which I did for about, I would say, 15, 18 months. And then my role expanded to becoming the chief operating officer as well, which includes running the global services organization, which is the delivery function, the global support organization, and also the SaaS operation. So my portfolio is exactly that, product services, support, and SaaS. But the uniqueness of that role, which I'm thoroughly enjoying is, you are not just creating great products and ideating on great products and, you know, cutting edge stuff. You're also going through the full cycle of taking it, implementing it, getting the feedback, seeing the growth that banks and the businesses are getting out of it and the improvements that you have to make. So it's really closing the loop. That part is what I'm absolutely thoroughly enjoying. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So I've tried to go through this a few times with Dave myself, but you would be much better placed than me to explain what is actually core banking and what is now like a modern version of core banking. Yeah, I mean, you've had a ringside seat on the evolution of it over the last 25 years. So, you know, I aligned to that. I was kind of keen. What's the difference between what Temenos was doing in the late 90s compared to now in relation to core banking as well? Yeah, I think historically what we saw, and when I joined, this is the bit that was you know, fascinating for me. Pretty much everything the banks did, it was in a box and it was meant to be on that single platform with all those capabilities that they need. And pretty much you just squeeze everything onto that one box or one system or whatever. But then what we were seeing also in the market was the banks were actually you know, quite complex. They had also grown through acquisitions and they had plenty of systems, really old systems even then. For them to even look at one system to replace the four or five was actually a massive decision. Yeah. But then they hooked on to the idea that there is this one platform that I can go to. Great. But I will need choice there, as in what technology stack I would want to deploy. Because those days, there were these multiple on-prem stacks. And by then, Terminals had also opened our software to run on multiple stacks, Oracle stack, IBM stack, you know, Microsoft stack, you name it. We were just going through the process of certifying ourselves and creating the run books to run these run our applications on different stacks. So that itself, the technology decision of where to run core banking was very big at that point. They were wedded to a particular database. They were wedded to a particular technology stack. And then within that, they had actually squeezed and consolidated too much of the banking capability. So accounts, deposits, corporate aspects, well capabilities, you name it, product design, product configuration, you know, charging, little bit of pricing and early stages of that, everything, including digital, was pretty much put on that one single platform. It had to be everything. 
because it is banking. It is meant to support everything to do with core banking. And I think that was the phase, I would say, the early part of 2000s and up until I think when the start of digitalization and the mobile thumb obviously knows this phase, when that started to take off. But then again, I think the shift was pretty much around, oh yeah, digital, internet, let's put these channels, you know, multiple channels, solutions on top of course. Yeah. Just keep everything the way they are, but only enable the digital applications to run on whatever technologies, mobile technologies, internet technologies, whatever. But then again, we started seeing the complexity that it was becoming a different kind of spaghetti. While the core was already a spaghetti, the digital was also becoming a spaghetti. Why? You had multiple channels and all these channels were directly connecting to multiple core product systems within the banks. And that again wasn't sustainable. Because when PSD2 and open banking started coming up in, what, 2014s, 2015s, maybe, people started realizing, oh my God, I need to actually think about putting my core capabilities, which is my account information, payment information, I need to expose that via APIs to third parties on the internet. And then started coming all these problems around, oh my God, it needs to be secured and it needs to be secured at multiple levels. I need to acquire the consent and I need to manage the consent from customers. So what we used to just manage as digital channels connecting to code suddenly had to be decoupled and it had to be in a different engagement layer, if I can call it that. And many industry definitions are there. It's another layer that was supporting this experience for customers. And that meant a number of things from the core banking had to be, you know, sort of hollowed out, if I can call it that. And that started, I would say, the journey getting towards what we call the lean core. But then all of the other capabilities, the value add capabilities, which is where do you handle your customer information? Where do you handle the experience that you give as you onboard a customer, the origination of the different products that process goes through, the workflows around it, the omni-channel capabilities that you need to provide during that journey itself. And then to be able to say, this is my, you know, external marketing catalog of all my product sets. These are the terms and conditions that allow to negotiate with a bank. These are the things that I will not negotiate with a customer, so on and so forth. And then the simplification of the product set itself. So to know that these are my core profitable products and to be able to double down on those products and to invest and provide the best experience for those profitable products and then to grow your business, so on and so forth. That can't sit in core. So that needed to be taken out. And then because you took the product design simplification and the pricing and charging and everything out of core, you just need to also handle the limits or the credit decision processing and the underwriting processes and things like that. Actually, what we have landed now on is the value-add capabilities around the onboarding, the journeys, the experience that customers are getting from the actual fulfillment or the execution of those products itself. Now, that doesn't mean core has become less important. You will never get rid of that capability. You still need some system of record, some you know book of record for that. But then it becomes less important in terms of 
the experience part of it, the value addition part of it. Once you wrap it and keep it as your lean core that is modern, agile, and then you are able to just constantly, consistently upgrade it for regulatory and compliance reasons, you can start thinking about investing in all of these other capabilities which are sitting in a modern tech, perhaps a cloud-native tech, and you have a choice of in-house versus you know, vendors that can provide you those niche capabilities. And then you're starting to look at really, truly transforming this as a bank. When Dharma and I started out, like in the late 90s, we wanted to make a, I don't know, front end and application process. We were having to do that directly on the core. You know, when I think about it, it's quite incredible. I'm not sure I ever did think about it. So now, you know, the flexibility of, okay, we need to do account opening. You don't have to worry about the core or you worry about the connection with the core, but you can really focus on that experience side of things, I think is really fascinating. So thank you, because I think that's really helped me understand what that progress has been. You know, I've just written an article about having been to Money 2020, everybody's talking about experience as the big differentiator and the thing to focus on and you know it's music to my ears because that's what I do and now it sort of helps me understand why that's the case and so I really appreciate that. Prima so what is it actually that makes this a modern core now and is that part of being cloud native what makes it cloud native can you just help Dave understand that? We can't today talk about modern code without talking about cloud. Yeah? yeah. Every single conversation that we have with our prospects and clients, cloud surfaces. It's not a hype or five years back, we were worried about regulators not stepping up. Today, that is not the case. Globally, every geography jurisdiction you take, there is already some form of regulatory framework around which you can start using cloud. You can also think about SaaS solutions, you know, that regulatory framework is also available in pretty much every jurisdiction. So banks are now free and open, and they are very much engaged in the cloud conversation. So a modern core has to be on the cloud. It has to be a software that you are able to deploy with a lighter footprint. Therefore, the lean part comes in, not just on the banking capabilities part of it, but the application that you deploy has to be that. And it has to also use and reuse as much as possible the services, native and the managed services that the hyperscalers and others provide on the cloud. Why? Because it is cheaper. Two, because you don't have to worry about the critical things which are availability, resiliency, you know, what happens when a node fails and how do I fail over? How do I fail back? You know, how do I recover from a bad situation, which frankly happens? How do I think about provisioning you know, infrastructure for my peak loads. You don't have to worry about those things when you are in a cloud native architecture. It's elastically scaling. It's scaling as per your needs. You don't have to most importantly worry about the security aspects. Of course, as a bank, you have that responsibility to ensure that you are also monitoring the security vulnerabilities and things like that. But the investments that the hyperscalers put in on security alone is just collectively beating every single investment that we can ever think of. And when a cloud provider is offering you all those capabilities and you are running mission-critical software, those are very important attributes that you're looking for, then 
you know, you can start thinking about really, truly how to innovate. That gives you as a bank the time to think about the experience that I can give to my customer. How do I differentiate myself from the next high street bank? How do I look at this particular segment of the customer base that I haven't actually offered more products? How can I expand the depth and breadth of the capabilities using the fintech community around me. These are the things that banks should be investing their time a lot on and not worrying about, oh my God, how am I going to run this infrastructure? I'm going to have a different peak load on payments this weekend. How am I going to you know, support that? Or there is a regulatory requirement and I need to run an upgrade on the platform. Should I think about the downtime on all of my channels and every other system? These are not the things that banks should be worrying about in this era. That is what a modern code looks like. I'm just making it non-technical because it's all about what ultimately banks are freeing themselves up to do, you know, with the investment that they have, which is all about the better customer experience, making sure they don't have the repeat of the Silicon Valley banks and what we are seeing as major gaps on risk and complaints. There are so many things that they can do with that time and investment that they will be left with if they are thinking about just doing things on the cloud, more so if they are choosing SaaS providers. I think it's really fascinating. One of the questions I've got is banks... I feel over the history of digital transformation, they really have looked at process optimization and value extraction. You talk about it running. It's all about running the organization and not about improving or creating value. So how are banks responding to the opportunity? You know, I've asked a few people about this, but I think the cultures of these organizations are often so much in the running like they're now having to think about the opportunity. So, you know, I hear lots of people talk, as I've said, I mean, it's very exciting for me, but I'm the only experienced person who turns up to these fintech events. There's nobody. And I'm like, well, hello, everybody, I'm here. And it sort of feels like there's a lot of talk and not a lot of doing. So are you seeing the organizations that are your clients changing their perceptions and the way they work? Because I think this is really important, isn't it? Yeah. It's a different mindset, isn't it, ultimately? Either the products are not you know, simplified enough, they are not able to add additional features onto the existing products fast enough, and they will be constrained by the product fulfillment system, whatever that is. It could be a big core system or it could be a product system on the side. And you would invariably find out that that system cannot be API-enabled. So obviously, this feature, I cannot sell it via the digital channel. That is how the conversation will become. So coming up with actually solutions which are agnostic of where you are trying to solve and therefore taking it to an enterprise-wide capability or taking it outside of core and to say, you know what, you can take this independent capability as enterprise pricing capability, you deploy that. And then we will also allow you to add new features to an existing product set, a legacy product. Let's just call it that. You want to add a new feature of cashback to an existing account product. You can set it up and run it from this new enterprise pricing open product capability instead of changing your core, changing your, you know, whatever surround systems that you have. 
That is the way to engage with customers right now. And they are more willing to take up those conversations than when you start saying, you know what, you can't roll out that feature because that would mean change to your legacy core and you probably do not have anybody who knows that core anymore. Therefore, you need to replace your entire core for you to, you know, perhaps think about doing a cashback on an existing account. If that is the conversation a vendor is going to have, Obviously, that's not going to work. And banks don't encourage and entertain that sort of conversation, which is why we have been working in Terminals for the last five, six years when we started going deeper onto the cloud native. How do we decouple these capabilities from our core platform? How do we offer that as independent, standalone, independently deployable, independently upgradable with their own sets of APIs and you know, sitting in a distributed event architecture, which is the microservices paradigm, and then to be able to leverage these capabilities. So the large banks, it's about all those incremental things that they can do around their core, which would mean taking things out of their existing core as well in the longer term. In the other extreme, which is the smaller banks who are absolutely perfectly fine with a big bank, you know, sort of implementation or starting off on a modern platform with one or couple of products and then to be able to migrate everything onto this new platform that is also very much a conversation that we are seeing generally the core outlives all the ceos right so it has to be something that's the fabric of the organization is that we're moving towards a new architecture because of this business reason and it's the business reason that you know make sure that the project lives on beyond the ceos right Usually these projects are put together with the IT focus of, you know, I'm going to give work to my 3,000 people here, 2,000 people there, 5,000 people there. That's pretty much how the objectives of the projects are. If you double click on everything and just look at the reality of it. Instead, if you turn your milestones as delivering in three months, every three months I'm delivering X value to my business. And that's what I'm using this 200 million, 500 million for. Let's start talking about that, right? Then everything falls into place. You are not anymore talking about 3,000 people down the line. It's about, actually, I can do this with 300 people here. (laughs) And that's what I've figured out as I go through this. Because everything else is fluff. We're almost at time, but it's such a really important point. And my final question for you is that I think what cloud has done is it's sort of made everything more flexible and things have sped up. And in the past, IT teams could hide behind the fact that they had to update the core and they had backlogs and all the other bits and pieces. Cloud is speeding things up, but we also then have AI, which is pitched up. It's been there for a long time, but you know, rather loudly over the last six months. And what impacts are you seeing on organizations from the rise of the machines now because it feels to me that there is no hiding place from this rise of technology and that whole bank culture that is quite entrenched will have to change because of technology absolutely in all our lives ai has penetrated so much that we are using ai even without us realizing that we are using ai I used to give this simple example to my son about even in Gmail, when you use Gmail, you are using AI. You just don't realize that you are using AI because that's how the experience has been put together. That's how it's going to become, right? And many banks have been, you know, innovating, let's put it that way, 
But these ideas are pretty much within the labs. They have not made it into production in the real life. A banking customer, us, the consumers, we don't see the impact positively because of AI coming into play. But having said that, I think I can talk about Temenos here because we have been very much pioneering on the AI side of the story. But what we are also realizing is that having an explainable AI platform and having, you know, whatever, 30 algorithms, which are banking models of different nature, credit scoring to transaction classification to customer segmentation and things like that, they're all well and good. But they also have to come together in a proper journey for banks to be able to start offering this to their customers. And we work with a lot of banks who are willing to experiment with such things. In the past, it was the regulatory concerns that stopped them from actually taking that step forward, that final step towards moving from the lab into you know, the real life. But now regulatory frameworks are also clear on how AI should be used and cut down the bias, how to provide more explainability to the decisions that are being taken. How do you monitor that the algorithms don't build in the bias in the longer run and start interpreting things in the right manner, so on and so forth. So in Terminos, we do have the explainable AI platform and the models. We also integrate that into our customer journeys. What we have started seeing is there is also a good use case and good number of use cases for generative AI. And we are embedding those. What generative AI tends to force also another level because you generate new content, the explainability actually of that content will have to step up a notch because it's new content. It's not something that you statically, you know, created. It's coming out of the system and therefore you have to explain things much more than you were doing before in a black box AI model. So there's a lot that is happening, I think, for in different set of use cases, but banks are still grappling with one fundamental problem, which is their data. No matter what you do on AI, how clever this algorithm is, unless you have good data, clean data, usable data, your context, as in within the bank, within your customer segment and the geographies in which you are operating, if you don't have that clean, dependable data, you just cannot use that AI in a meaningful way. It is just going to throw garbage back at you. And that's the problem that banks need to solve. Once they solve that problem, I think the AI becomes a natural progression and it unlocks all of the power that's sitting behind AI. I would say many of our own banks are dealing with it in different ways. They start off with a smaller use case, one simple model, just proving that success to their business to say that, you know what, let's go with this one use case and say that to prove to the business that not only it can run at scale, but we can handle the regulatory needs when you use AI. And then we just dot the I's and cross the T's in just using AI and then go big on it. So a number of banks are, you know, doing all of that. But the technology transformation, you know, moving to the cloud, that becomes a prerequisite for a number of these things. So if they want to solve their data problem, they have to move to the cloud as well. So it goes back to the previous conversations we are having. So all of these come together, you know, to the same point, which is you need to think about modernizing the technology. You need to think about going on to the cloud. 
you need to start very quickly unlocking the potential of what cloud brings with the data and the ai capabilities and you cannot wait on these modernizations to complete before you can play around with ai you have to have those parallel streams happening totally agree with all of that prema and i haven't even got through half my questions but we are out of time but i would like to thank you i mean it's been a bit like catching up over a coffee and really find out all the wonderful things that you guys have been up to but clearly there's lots more to tell at some point really appreciate your time and again congratulations on your new role etc sounds like max has enjoyed it as well hey dom <laughs> fantastic thank you it's been a really really good fascinating session i really appreciate you demystifying things like core for me because um it's a big subject so thank you Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Dan Demystify show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.